you're new here, I just gave you something to do during the message, so you're welcome. You can uh, pull your phone out and pretend to be doing that and then, uh, I don't know, get on the internet and do whatever. Um, I'm glad you guys are here, and uh, this is a lot of fun. Uh, being a pastor is just a joy, and you guys specifically just getting to do life together and uh, ministering with you. Um, uh, it, it is a privilege, and I just count it a joy to be able to be here. Hey, do me a favor and track down a Bible if you can, and get with, with me to Luke chapter 2. And in the Bibles that we have here, we have Bibles down by your feet and, and baskets kind of spread throughout the auditorium here. If you track one of those down, Luke chapter 2 is on page 832, 832. And uh, the plan is we'll, we'll go um, into the narrative, into the story of Christmas in Luke chapter 2. And the truth is, all of us probably know the story. And we've heard it many, many times. And, uh, you know, you shouldn't be surprised if you showed up to church today and, oh, we're talking about Christmas. Like, you kind of knew that coming in. You knew that th that was the deal. And so a lot of us interact with it. But here's my concern. I think most of us don't really interact with Christmas the way God intends for us. I don't think that we hear the message the way that God wants. We kind of deal with it at that superficial level, kind of just, oh yeah, here's the story. And what I want to do this morning is show you that even within the story, we're, we're invited to take steps toward greater understanding and greater uh, allowing it to influence us at greater and greater levels. And so we'll look at the event, which is really the details, the, the story itself and what's happening and, and, um, and, and the events surrounding that. But then you'll notice, too, there's an explanation of it. And that's kind of that second tier. That's where you know not just what happened at Christmas, but you, un you begin to understand why, because it's being explained. And then here's the third level that hopefully we can get to together. The third level is Christmas is something that you're supposed to interact with, that you're supposed to engage with at a, at a deep level that actually changes you, that turns you into a worshiper, that turns you into a, a person who wants to share that news with, with other people. And you'll see that in, in the last portion of our text together where we look at this group of people who examine the, the story and the details of it, and it changes them. So let me pray, uh, and then we'll get to work. All right, let's pray. Lord, we, we ask right now that you would speak to us. As we open your word, we want to hear your voice loud and clear. We pray, Lord, for, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to be taking an old story and making it come alive today. I've been praying this week that this would change people, that it would change me. I really do believe it's that powerful. And so I'm asking God that you would, by your spirit, move right now and help us to know you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's look at the event together. Let's look at the event in verses 1 to 7. There are some details that are being described here. There's a king who uh, issues a decree, a king who says, um, here's the deal. I'm going to legislate. I need everybody in all of the places that I reign, I need them to go to their hometown, to their place of origin, uh, to, to be registered. It's called a census. And this king is really trying to show how impressive he is. He's, he's the uh, king over all kinds of different places. And when he gets that final tally, he's able to say, look at this. Look at this huge, vast amount of people that I rule over. Um, we do that in, in church ministry. It's called attendance on Sunday mornings. 
And so, you know, we, we count people, and then we count them twice. Um, recently, uh, a, lot of, a lot of people from our church have been out at the tree farm because we're, we're really connected with the tree farm out there. So, so Sunday mornings, we'll have, you know, 15 to 20 people out there working on a Sunday morning. And so, we, you know, we're counting, and then I'll, you know, I'll talk to mom and dad. They, they run the tree farm, and I'll talk to them, and they'll say, hey, we had 18 of, you know, the McChesney Park campus people. We should count them, you know, because then all of a sudden our, our number just, just grows. And there's this, there's this tendency to, to want to be able to say, here's how impressive I am, and you base it off of a number. So you've got this king who's taking a census. Look with me at verses 1 and following. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So the king is saying, this ruler is saying, I need everyone to go to your place of origin so that you can be counted there. And here's what's ironic about the story. This person who seems to be the most powerful person in the storyline becomes a foil. He, he, he becomes this, he's the king, but there's a reality that's about to unfold. The true king is arriving. And so though he's saying, I need everyone to do this, and I'm in charge, and look at how many people I rule over, and everyone's going to obey what my command is, and this decree that I've given, and in reality, in just a moment, this real king is going to show up. And, and he's the king of kings, and he's the lord of lords. But there's this event. It's, it's the, the census. The, the, they have to then travel to their hometown. Look at verses 4 and 5. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. To Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So as you're looking at the event, it's telling us all these little details, all these, you know, here's what's going on, here's, here's what's happening. They have to go up to Bethlehem, to the town of David. This is where Joseph is from. They're having to go there. Um, he has to register there with Mary, this, his uh, fiance, and she's expecting a child. And you're just getting these kind of, what kind of feel like ordinary details of life. And um, the truth is, as I was thinking about it this week, a lot of our experience is lived in the ordinary. It's lived in the mundane. And many of us kind of want these big moments, like we'll see here in just a second. We want these big moments where angels show up and speak over us and say, here's what's happening. Here's this plan for your life. Um, but, but the truth is, most of our Christian experience is lived in the mundane. And in this story, you find these details and you're like, okay, what, what's going on here? And it's not until you zoom out that you begin to realize God is on the move. You, you zoom out and you think, man, this all feels very inconvenient. It, it just feels like they're having to go through these different challenges. I mean, to have a pregnant wife and to have to make this trek to Bethlehem, it's all, you know, it's all just challenges that they're going through. But then you zoom out and you begin to realize God's hidden hand of providence is, is right here in the story that he's actually doing something here that's strategic and intentional. That he's bringing Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem because he promised that's where the Messiah would be born. And so in that moment, if Joseph were to examine his life, it would just feel like one of those seasons where there are impositions on him, where it's hard, where there's challenges, and you just got to wonder, 
okay, God, where are you? And what are you doing? And, and are you mishandling my life right now? If you were to look at the snapshot in that moment, man, there's a decree and we have to go there. And my wife is very pregnant. And so, so we're going to make this trek. I mean, everything about that just feels hard. And some of us are in that season right now. Some of us are in a place in life where you, you, if you were to evaluate your life, you might say, I don't know what God is doing. I don't know what he's up to. It feels that he's absent. Or you might even say, it feels like he's mishandling my life. Because I want to be faithful to him, but right now the things that I'm going through, the, thing, the expectations on me, the challenges that I have to navigate right now, it just doesn't seem right. And this story reminds us that God is at work in those seemingly mundane, ordinary experiences. And, and it's not until later that you can zoom out and go, look at what God has been doing. Look at what God has been doing. So in this moment, if that's you, if you're in that season, I want to encourage you to just hold on to God by faith in this moment and say, I don't understand what he's doing, but I understand him to be good. I don't know how this is going to play out, but I believe it's true that he works all things together for good. And just cling to that because in the moment, you might not be able to properly interpret your circumstances in light of what God is doing. You might feel just like Joseph would, what on earth is going on? So the event is being explained, and then the time comes for the baby to come in verses 6 and 7. While they were there, while they were in that town in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Again, it's, it's just details. It's just the event is being told to us. Here is what happened. They travel there because of this decree, because of the census. The time comes and she now has this baby. And uh, they, you know, they, they don't have a place for them. And so she takes this baby and wraps him up in cloths and then places him in a manger. And again, it just all feels very, very much like an ordinary event. Now, the truth is, as I've been mentioning at the very beginning, that's kind of the level that many people interact with Christmas. At that level, at the event level of, I understand that these things are the story of Christmas. That, yeah, Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem, and they had their child there, and they placed him in the manger. And that's kind of the, for, for many people, that's about the extent of how far they'll go with Christmas this year, or any year. They can nod to it. They, they go, yeah, that's, that's right. Um, that's what I've heard before. Uh, I, I'm tracking with you on that. I want to encourage us to take another step. Because we don't just need to know what happened. We need to know why it happened. And there's an explanation here. The explanation is from the voice of angels telling people what this means. And I hope that you would have that experience of God speaking to you. Now, here's the, here's the reality. Tim Keller pointed this out. He said, only the shepherds get to hear the angel voice. And then the angels, you know, they, they're out of the story again. And at the end, uh, all you get is the shepherds telling the story. And he was just pointing out how much of a bummer it is. Uh, because I, I would love it. Imagine if we, I were able to, you know, make a few phone calls and get the angels to come and preach at church. And they came and they said, guys, this happened. Here's what this means for you. We would have no trouble capturing the, your attention. 
and we would have no trouble having you be moved by that. Like, holy smokes, the angels are here, and they're speaking to us. There would be no issue. But the truth is, not only is the story kind of ordinary in its details, often the way that you hear it is somewhat ordinary as well. I guess what I'm saying is, I'm sorry, but you're stuck with, with me, and I'm telling you this story, and I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would take this reality and make it come alive. That it would become so profound in your heart that it would change you. That it would feel like the voice of God is speaking to you. And honestly, that's the way that God works. He, he normally communicates to his people through the ordinary means of the scriptures. And so I'm praying and have been praying that that would happen even now. But let's listen to this explanation. It's in verses 8 to 14. The explanation of the event is, is really the payload. We need to pay attention. This is what God is declaring to be the case. Yes, a baby has been born. Yes, he's lying in a manger. What does that mean? Look at verse 8. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So some dudes are just doing their jobs. They're out there. They're watching. They're shepherds, so their literal job is to look after a flock of animals. And they're out there at night, and they're watching over their flocks. And all of a sudden, an angel arrives. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So the angel shows up, and they're doing their job, and all of a sudden, it's just a game-changing reality because now the angel is going to speak to them and tell them what this means. And then we have the message, the explanation in verses 10 and following, and this is the gospel message. This is really why we exist as a church. This is why we would rent physical space from a high school and do all the work of setting up each week and organizing different things and trying to arrange ourselves to be a healthy church. This is it. This is the reason why. It's called the good news of the gospel. There's a message of what God has done that is the message of salvation. There's a message that is intended to be good news for us and for all people. And we want to be the kind of place that people can come in and hear that news. That we can declare that news and then they can see our lives and they can see how that good news is shaping us and changing us and helping us to become good news people. Here's the message here in verse 10 and following. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The angel speaks and he says, here's what you need to know. An event happened today of global magnitude. There is a, there's a child that was born today in Bethlehem. And here's what you need to know about it. This is good news. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all the peoples. This message is the message of what God is doing, that he, he loved us enough to send his son, that he loved us enough because he, he, he wants to redeem us. And so his promised plan from the very beginning is that he would send his son and his son would live the perfect life that humanity fails to live. And he would gift that to us by faith and he would take on himself the penalty and the punishment of sin and it's an announcement of God's doing. Christianity is not you better come to church and you better do these different things. Christianity is receiving by faith what God has declared to be true. He sent his son Jesus and we need to 
place our faith in him for salvation. That's what Christianity is. And when the angel announces this reality, he's saying that child has been born today in the town of Bethlehem. And he invites them then to go and see for yourself. But this message is what Christianity is really about. We need to not only know what happened, but we need to understand its significance. God is at work in his world redeeming a people to himself. He's rescuing us. And if you really understand Christmas, if you really understand the Christmas narrative, you understand that what happened that day is of eternal significance. And you either believe it and trust in it and allow it to orient your life, or or you just kind of deal with it at that superficial level and you're dismissive of it. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that Christianity is either, um, uh, I'm going to paraphrase, but either incredibly important or, or, or not. But the one thing that it can't be for anybody is moderately important. Christianity needs to be something that, that becomes all-encompassing. And you hear this message, this announcement, and it changes you. Now, heaven itself, when it thinks about the good news of the gospel, it breaks out in a song. Look with me at verses 13 and 14. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. This, this reality is so incredible that heaven sings. This, this, this reality is so awesome that people who don't normally sing, that's, that's me. I'm not a singer. The only place I sing is in my car with my kids or at our dance parties at our house. But I don't, I don't normally go around just broadcasting my voice. But there, the reality of Christianity is it's a singing religion. We, we need to be a people who are so changed because this news is good news. And it's joy for all peoples. And so one of the appropriate ways that it shows up is we just sing about it. But it's also joy. It's, it's joy for all the people. Uh, this week I was convicted. It's unfortunate that so many Christians are so grumpy. Um, I t- I've told you this before. One of my nephews came up to me and he said, why do you only smile in pictures? And I said, and, you know, I, told, I was just honest in that moment. I said, I'm kind of grumpy. And then I realized, oh man, I'm the grumpy uncle. And Christians ought to be people who, who, are, who recognize the significance of the message. So it is joy. It's joy for all peoples, but certainly it ought to be joy for us. We should be people whose, the, the spirit of God is changing us from the inside out. So we're full of joy. And I guess I'm just concerned that many of us can walk through life and there's so many pressures and things coming at us. And we kind of forget the gospel. We have gospel amnesia. We forget the good news. And then we allow for that reality to spill out of our hearts, which is just grumpy and irritable. Last night, we were at my parents' house, and we've been doing um, a pajama party for the the last uh, five years. And and so we were doing our pajama party, and all the nieces and nephews are out there. And... um, I was talking to my brother Brad, and one of my nephews, I won't say his name, but he grabbed, there were a bunch of board games and stuff out, so he grabbed a game that had marbles, and he got a fistful of marbles, and I'm sitting there talking to my, bro- my older brother Brad, and then uh, this little dude, he, he cocks back, and he's like three feet away from me, and he just throws the marbles into my face, and I 
I'm praying, <laughs> Lord, <laughs> fill me with your spirit because there's a lot of other stuff going on in me right now. But, but Christians are people who, no matter what life is dealing you, we should be people of joy. That, that because of the spirit of God in us, and the awareness of the magnitude of the message and this salvation and this Messiah and all that God is doing, we should be people who are full of joy. I didn't kill him, by the way. Uh, I was very grateful God answered my prayer swiftly. But we should be a people who are being radically changed so that our attitudes are changing and so that, the, uh, so that what we do changes. We begin to sing. We, we join the host of the angels and we sing about this reality praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. We just recognize this is the most important thing in all the world. The good news of the gospel is the most significant thing any of us could ever interact with. And so we sing about it and we tell other people about it and we're changed by it because it is that, that profound and that powerful. So that's the second level. It's interacting with the explanation of this message. Now, here's the third thing, and I hope you'll, you'll be willing to do this. The third thing that I think the story invites us to do is to handle it. Meaning, it's one thing to know the details. It's, a, it's one thing to know about what it means. It's a whole other thing to personally deal with Christianity. The, the shepherds were invited to go and see. There's a sign. It'll be a baby wrapped in cloths. He'll be lying in a manger. And they hear that message and they say, let's drop everything and go see for ourselves. Let's leave everything behind and let's take that trek to Bethlehem and let's go examine it for ourselves. Let's see if that message is true. And Christianity really does invite you into that. Even today, it's saying there's something true about this that you should deal with that you should handle, that you should think to yourself, do I really know Christianity at this level? Have I personally interacted with it? Here's how it worked for the shepherds. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they went. They went and they found the baby just as, as it was described to them. Look at verse 16. They hurried off. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Here's what it's saying. The shepherds have the good sense to having heard the message explained to them. They say, we're going to examine it for ourselves. Christianity invites you to make that personal interaction with it. Are you willing to deal with it at that level to say, do I really get this? Do I really understand what this is? Have I really wrestled with it? Have I grappled with this truth? Or is it just kind of a cultural thing that, you know, a couple times a year we talk about things like this, but it's not really a life-changing reality for me. Deal with it. Handle it. And it gives us some different things that we can examine. It's a, it's a historical reality. Christianity is something that isn't just ideas and concepts, but there are historical events that are tied up with it. Meaning, you can look into, did was there ever really a situation where a virgin gave birth to somebody? And did that person named Jesus of Nazareth, did he really grow up? Did he really do these things? Did he really die? Did he really come back from the grave? All of that is handleable. It's something you can touch and examine. Just like the shepherd said, we better go and look into this. We can be people who say, if these events really did happen, then they are of global significance. 
And they really ought to change my entire life because if that is true, if God decided he was going to step into the human experience in real time and space and history, if that happened, that is a game-changing truth. I need to know something about that. Christianity is inviting us to deal with it, to handle it, to examine it. And then what happens when, when, when you do that? It changes you. Um, I, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, one of the reformers. He kind of put it like this, and, and I'm praying that this is happening right now. Martin Luther said, pastoral ministry is taking the gospel, and he, he was exotic with the way he said a lot of different things, and he was just kind of a weirdo, but he said, pastoral ministry, doing ministry, is taking the gospel and beating it into people's heads. And he said, because there's often this reality that... You hear it over and over again, but it's not until it clicks that it actually changes you. And so he talked about it in different ways. He talked about kind of like beating it into people's heads. Um, that's, what we're, that's what I'm praying is happening right now, that the Holy Spirit is taking something you've probably heard dozens of times. And you think, okay, I'm just going gonna, gonna to start to think about this seriously. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is taking this truth and is making it non-ignorable. That, that it's becoming something that's overwhelming you so that it would show up in the decisions that you make this week. That it becomes so profound that it really does change who you are. Look at how it plays out for the shepherds in verses 17 and following. When they had seen this child, when they had seen this baby, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. When they see it, when they examine it, when they hear the message and go look into it for themselves, they become people who automatically go out and just publish that news. I got to tell you something wild. Here's the good news of the gospel. God loves us. He sent his son. He's lying in a manger right now in Bethlehem. They begin to tell other people, and the other people who hear it are greatly amazed at what the shepherds are saying. It is changing them immediately. It's changing them on the spot. Mary herself, she also is being changed by this truth. Verse 19, you can look at it with me. It says, but Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. She's there firsthand. She's watching these things unfold. She's listening to these different accounts. She's listening to uh, the angels and the shepherds and other people, and she is pondering them up in her heart. And I'm asking that you would do that this morning, that you would take the truth of the Christmas message and you would ponder it in your heart until it becomes something that changes you. Mary is a good example for us of what we should do in light of this Christmas message. And here's when we know that it, that is changing us. It'll show up in our worship. It'll show up in the way that we acknowledge and glorify God. Look at verse 20. The shepherds returned glorifying God and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The shepherds become worshipers of Jesus Christ. Ponder it in your heart until it becomes something that you can't help but sing about. That you just want to express the goodness of God in song form, and you just glorify him in everything. I hope Christmas has that effect on you, that you understand the events, that you hear the explanation of what they mean, that you examine it for yourself, and that changes you into a worshiper.
So I'm going to pray now, and I would ask that you would bow your heads, please. Lord, we're praying that the Holy Spirit would take a familiar message and make it life-changing. Lord, would you help us to be a, a people who examine the reality of Christianity and then reorient our lives around it, realizing that Jesus is the Lord. There might be other powers in our life right now and other situations going on, but at the end of the day, I want to be able to acknowledge Jesus is King of Kings. And I want to be a person and lead a church of people who are committed to him, who have surrendered to him, whose lives are being changed, who are worshiping him, who are full of joy because of this incredible news. So even in uh, these next few minutes as we sing again, would you help us, God, to ponder these truths in our heart and be changed by them? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.